Today on Fifth Age, we answer questions like, how much of this discussion about Dirk Gently's refrigerator can we leave in? And, was Radagast just trying to create a secret army of killer bunnies? Look at the bones! Thank you for joining us here on The Fifth Age. I'm Dan. And I'm Erica. Come along with us as we explore Tolkien's world together. You know what you're here for. Holistic detective work. That's right. It's time for the second part of our three-part discussion of the Astari. If you haven't listened to the last episode yet, you might want to do that real quick before you continue with this one. Today, we're going to talk about which Astari is secretly Dirk Gently, discuss my brother's objection to Peter McRadagast, and find out if I will ever stop talking about the Shadow of Mordor. Spoiler alert, I won't, even if I keep calling it Shadow of War by mistake. So let's go through like what I know you talked a little bit, but like what were each of them actually doing in Middle Earth? So let's start with the weird ones. So (laughs) which ones are the weird ones? Yes. So (laughs) no, the sort of lesser known ones, because I think a lot of people know what Saruman and, and well, maybe not actually like what were Saruman and Gandalf doing? So all of them were sent to basically be the Vela's voice against Sauron in the third age. Fight did you against say Sauron. voice? You're so particular. I did say voice, but I mean, they're, it's, it, they're emissaries. They're, well, I, I'm particular because Tolkien uses language very particularly. Yeah. And, well, I'm not particular <laughs> about language. So yeah. But sometimes you're <laughs> quoting what you've read, what you've read. So I'm just oh, trying yeah. to, this I'm trying to establish. Quote. Okay. So, so so they're emissaries okay. of the Vela. That's what Tolkien wrote. They're emissaries of the Vela. All of them were sent to combat Sauron. And they didn't have to necessarily work together. Okay. It was up it was kind of up to them what they were going to do to defeat Sauron. They said you're you're all powerful guys, not like all powerful, but you are all individually powerful. Right. And you all have special skills that will serve you well in Middle-earth. Off you go. Go fight Sauron. Okay. So how did they each try to accomplish this? So let's start with the easy one. Radagast gave up. He (laughs) He saw all the cute bunnies and birds and trees. And he was like, yeah, this Uh, place is awesome. Anya was right. Bunnies, bunnies, it must be bunnies. (laughs) Right. I mean, let's not get into his stupid sled pulled by rabbits and the hobbit movies wait let's because uh, my brother has a question what is his question my brother's question is a statement that's not a question (laughs) which is well his question ends with a period and his question is the peter jackson radagast is an abomination i mean think about it so this guy was sent the lover of birds was sent to middle earth to combat sauron and he just completely lost interest in that because there was a lot of cool stuff so it wasn't like he saw sauron and he was like whoa that's not happening no it was like he saw bunnies and he was like yeah that's my jam right there (laughs) i'm Um, gonna train one of these up to guard the cave of carabanog (laughs) (laughs) no one will expect this 
<laughs> Look at the bones. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so the Peter Jackson Radagast is silly. And he's gross with all the bird poo in his head or whatever. But honestly, he's an eccentric animal lover. I guess I've I've known people that are that weird about their pets. <laughs> Haven't you? I <laughs> I mean, I, be so, honest with me here. So my I'm I'm dodging that entirely. Um, so. <laughs> But I, I do have to respond. So my, my brother messaged me about this because uh, we were talking about the podcast. And I do have to say that my reaction to the Peter Radagast, the Peter Radagast? Sure. Peter Peter McRadagast. <laughs> to Peter McRadagast was that I actually thought it was a really cool way to visualize Radagast. Um, because Radagast doesn't really play a big part in the story. I mean, he's there for a minute and that's kind of it. And you have to communicate all this information visually about this character. And I was like, I was actually like, that is Radagast. Yep. You know, like if you, for me, if he, if he had no lines uh-huh. and no interaction, if I saw him, you would know in, in a Middle Earth related movie, I would be like, oh, they put Radagast in here. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to say he could just like. Cruise by, on by. His, he cruise by on his rabbit sled and everyone, the rabbit sled <laughs> the rabbit sled is a bit much for me and but the bird nest in the hair is not I loved that I loved that and I don't know maybe maybe my brother's comment is directed more about the rabbit sled I, he wasn't very specific um, I mean overall he yeah he's kind of he I could see like when I first saw him I was like oh my god what did they do Oh, I didn't see it. That but, wasn't but my reaction then, at all. But then, as as I think about it more, like the more I think about it, I'm like, but yeah, that's kind of what he'd be like. So, I, I in defense, uh, oh my god, you don't have to defend yourself. No, I was going to defend you. the Peter Jackson Radagast, hmm. um, which I may still do. In defense Whatever. of the Peter Jackson Radagast, and and based like from what you're telling me. This is an eccentric failure. Oh, yeah. And so to represent him as a sort of pathetic, eccentric bird nest is accurate, right? I mean, maybe it's not not accurate. I think <laughs> it was I felt like I guess I felt like it was being disrespectful to his status or something but now what did i think about it like no he's he was sent to combat sarin that's my he thing ended up playing with bunnies so this maybe, is maybe this is what maybe is. peter jackson hates radagast for failing or or the person whoever the designers were for the radagast character maybe they like did the research on radagast and they were like man this guy did not do what he was supposed to do how do we make him look laughable the other side of that is maybe they wanted to make it appeal to an audience that didn't really want to be there. So they put this weird, funny wizard guy in. I mean, that is fair. And also, I uh, the other side for me is, OK, so this is not the only or even the most laughable thing about this film. Like, oh, my God. 
It is bad. I'm just... I'm just... No. Maybe it's a good thing they didn't put Radagast on the Lord of the Rings if they were going to do it like that. But... Uh Uh-huh. But but again, like I said, you could also take it totally seriously and have the art the art or the design team for for Radagast look at him and go, yeah, this guy didn't do what he was supposed to do. He got distracted. He's off. He's off like cruising around with animals all the time. Let's make him put him on an animal cruiser and look like an idiot, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he was arguably one of the least powerful of the Astari. Bottom two. You can say that, but at the same time. He had, um, he had influence with the, with the animals. Like, I think that if he had wanted, and I think if he'd wanted to become powerful, he could have, I mean, you have, you have other characters who use that same sort of influence, the ability to control natural creatures, which I don't know if he had the ability to control them, but he certainly had the ability to interact with them. I mean, think about Ged, right? Um, hmm. who had the ability to communicate with all sorts of things and all the things that he could do simply by understanding and communicating with the world around him. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. and so Radagast isn't powerful, but Radagast has no interest in power either. Radagast is bird lover, right? He just is chilling yep. with the birds. He's just chilling yep. with nature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like he did a whole lot when it was threatened either, but like, Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he he spoke with Ents. He hung out with Ents a bit. Like the Treebeard knows him, but he didn't do anything. Yeah, what's the deal? Because like here he is, and and Orthanc, Saruman is like cutting down everything, and like just making big fires, and and here he was sent by Yvanna to like chaperone this dude. He's totally wrecking everything, and both controls she put in place the ants and and radagast and neither one of them is doing anything well one of them does something eventually i know know, but like it takes a minute yeah yeah and radagast just completely lost focus he just completely got distracted okay so that's radagast and saruman we talked about some yeah there's a lot to say about saruman but yeah we can come back to saruman but like what about the blue astari what's their deal so Alatar and Palando, um, said by Rome and Palando, I don't really know anything about him. And there's not a lot of information about them in Tolkien's writings other than, um, they were sent by Rome, Palando's Alatar's friend. They went together and they went to the South and East and they were kind of never heard from again. Okay. Um, although Tolkien speculated in some writing somewhere that, um, they may have been responsible for some of the magic cults that came up in the South after Sarn's defeat in the third Mm -hmm. age. So Mm -hmm. like they may have been turned to Sarn's side at some point, or they may have just gotten distracted somewhere. So I'm going to read you something from, we're going to, we're going to go out on a, on a bit on a limb here. Right. Cool. Um, We never do that. Never. So this is from the game Shadow of War. Okay. So there are two artifacts that you find that I got so excited when I found these in the game. Because you you can run around and you can find these different artifacts. And each artifact has a 
a memory associated with it. There's like a, a memory, in, in, the artifact is imbued with the memory. And the memory is a bit of audio. Okay. So there's two artifacts that you find that when I found one of them, I found, so the first one I found was the star chart. So there's a star chart and then there's a, we, a weathered Azerite figurine, which is called the two Istari. And I had actually just learned the word Astari from you when I found these. Um, mm -hmm. But the first one I found, I th I really thought I've, the first one I thought was found that was the star chart, and I th the way that it was described, it reminded me of Gandalf. It reminded me of the wizards and the way mm -hmm. wizards operate, because what it says is the memory audio. Um, so uh, the the thing that's described here is a mysterious star chart bone late second age okay and you found this in the sea of nern in which i don't remember where that is but if you're it's, it's south of mordor okay. south east of mordor so you find both of these um artifacts in the northeastern part of the sea of nern oh one of them's in the northwestern part but you find it both in the sea of nern so south of mordor and um the star chart the star chart artifact um, is carved from bone from an unknown animal of immense size. This map of the heavens was no doubt used by a lore master of some skill. Only a few select individuals would have been able to use this chart to track the course of the stars in the skies, using complex and possibly arcane computations to predict the future. Uh, and we'll, we'll link these in the show notes too, so you guys can look at them well, uh, if you want to. But then you find the memory on it. So this actually looks like the um, it looks like an elephant foot to me that's been mm -hmm. that's been uh, sectioned and has the star chart with concentric circles drawn in it and all sorts of dots for the stars all over it. And there's it's pretty it's pretty complex. I mean, like there's different um, depths of the carvings of the star chart, perhaps indicating brightness uh, of the stars. So it's it's pretty it's pretty detailed. So I got excited first because it's a star chart and I think that was really cool. But then um, the audio for it says, by that time we'd grown used to seeing them, but the shorter one had grown cold, distant. He could read the leaves, the lines in a man's hand, the lines in a man's hand, the bumps on his head. He could see you, you know. And I guess it got to him, the knowing. They'd go off together, and you could tell when they met up with the orcs. The sky would darken, and there'd be hail or rain or winds that shook the trees. And then, sure enough, everything would clear. They never spoke about any of that, although we'd always want to know. Best not, they'd say. And that's in double quotes. And when you hear this, this is both of them speaking at the same time. Okay. So then it says the two of them left with this two of them left without saying a word. Only it was funny, like because the shorter fellow left behind all his maps and the odd little board he used to see in the future. Traveling light, maybe. Or maybe, I don't know. Maybe he thought he'd have no more use for it. And so I read this and I was like, these are wizards. This is this is like Gandalf. And I talked to you about it as soon as I found it. I talked to you about it. I remember and, that. And you yeah. were like, I wonder if these are the blue Astari because the story made so much sense to you. And you explained it to me. And if you want to like go, go ahead and explain it, because, yeah, like, why does that make sense for this story? So, um. There are um, there's more than one note about an association with various Astari and Vala. Oh, okay. so so like in one place it says that Gandalf is associated with Varda or Varda and Manwe. In another place, he's associated with other Vala. Okay, and 
Elatar and Palando are associated with Arome in the main text of Unfinished Tales. But there's another note that says that um, Palando was also associated with Mandos and Niena. So Niena is the goddess of mourning, of, of grief. Of grief. Okay. Yes. And Mandos is um, um, is also called Namo, and he is the keeper of the houses of the dead. He's like Destiny in the Sandman series. He knows all and sees all, kind of. Okay. And that is, when you told me about that, I got so excited. I mean, I honestly, <laughs> I like, <gasps> when I read it, I just got goosebumps reading it again, honestly. But, yeah. um, so... The it got to him the knowing that part of it is just but but that's not the part. So when I read it, I was like, oh, so he's like predicting stuff with a he's so he's predicting stuff with a star chart, and he's mm-hmm. you know they have this other fortune telly stuff with the bumps on his head and the reading palms and stuff, and that's all cool. It plays into the fate thing, which you know which clued you in. But then for mm-hmm. me, that they, they go off to together when when they met up with the orcs, it's like oh, oh, so they're like fighting against Mordor. Mm-hmm. And they're south of Mordor, and they're doing this. Mm-hmm. And then what happens at the end? What happens at the end of the story? They quit. Yep. They get overwhelmed by depression or something. There's something that makes them quit. So he left behind this art. And guys, when you see this, like I encourage you to go look at this thing because the way they put it together. When you see this, think about how incredibly difficult crafting something like that would be with primitive tools and how much time it would take, how much dedication it would take to put something like that together. This is the work of years. This is not Mm -hmm. a simple object to create. Right. And so then you have something like that and, and maybe longer, maybe decades. I mean, this is an impossible artifact. When you look at it, you'll Mm -hmm. understand what I'm talking about. If you know anything about archeology span and, to take to just have discarded it mm-hmm. to just have discarded well, and, all of their stuff right and when when huh. you first when you first talked to me about this you sent me the picture the the link that we have actually in the that we're going to put in the show notes um you sent me that link with the image of the blue the carving of the blue star oh, yeah, i'll talk about that and in a I, second yeah and 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 when i saw it i'm like that is the blue Astari right there yeah it's so cool. So what makes them so the blue Astari for you? Um, let me look at it again here. I'm going to pull it up on my computer. I mean, they both have staffs, doing. right? So we just talked about that. Right. They both have staffs, but I knew, so I knew that, I already knew that there were two blue Astari that went south of Mordor and were traveling there. And you were telling me about this game for a while. So I knew yeah. like what area you were talking about. Um, and I saw this and it's, Two guys with stabs, and they're carved in blue stone. Right, right. Like one of they're called the bluest star in the game. Right, but also you know when you were talking about the the effects that were happening with the sky darkening, if and the hail, if they're, and the hail, so that, yeah, mm-hmm, if they're hunting orcs. Uh, it never says that Alatar was not. So so when I I said earlier that. Um, Tolkien's writings were unclear which Istari were associated with which Vala a couple of times. Palando, that's true. Elatar is always associated with Arome. He's always associated with the hunter. So hunting orcs, that's his thing. Uh, what about the Palando, weather thing? Um, 
that's really more a um weather is more of a um Manwe and Olmo thing, air okay. and water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I thought uh, you know maybe it's just their way of describing the game. This gets back to design again, right? You're trying to yeah. communicate that this is not a natural event, right? You're trying to communicate that this is right. magic happening, right? And of course, Gandalf associated with fire, and then, um, uh, these guys being the bluest story, but also near the sea. I, I kind of wonder if like the fact of where they decided to put this artifact maybe played into this or something or, but yeah, weather, uh, weather is what they went with. However, mm-hmm. they came to that decision, but then, yeah, the whole, the shorter fellow left behind all his maps and the odd little board he used to see in the future. I mean, come on. It's just, yeah. It's it's so indicative of, you know, the despair. Yes, despair of, is a of, great word. Of Soren's, like, dominating will, like, making you despair. He made Denethor despair. He made he makes everyone despair of winning. And he made, in, in that game, he made the Blue Astaria despair, which is fascinating. I, yeah, I wonder, I mean, it does make sense that it was Sauron that did that. And and so they were they were this is interesting, too, because it, it means that the designers of the game decided. And I don't know if there's any evidence for this in in um, Tolkien's writings, but the designers of the game decided these guys were doing what they were supposed to do. And the reason that we don't know about them is because Sauron defeated them so completely. It's like they never existed. That's that's fascinating. And, it, you know. That may be the thought process. And and Tolkien. I mean, there's in, just, there's just legends it, left. That's it. There's just legends left. That's the only like, thing that's left of them. And these couple artifacts that they made. That's that's really cool. And in, in, in the Unfinished Tales, it talks about how they failed and turned to Sauron's side. They turned to, like, doing oh, so what happened questionable with, things. So what happened but, then? It's not, it's never specified. It's never specified what happened to them. And, and the way that Tolkien wrote about it was sort of like, yeah, nobody knows what happened. They disappeared and fell out of knowledge of, of, you know, like he, a lot of the time in his writing, he talked like he was in Middle Earth. So like it fell out of our knowledge. We don't know what happened to them. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that's fascinating about... So the other... In, in the game, again, in mm-hmm. the game. Um, the other thing you find is the weathered Azurite figurine, the two Astari. And... I love it. The description of it is... Yeah, totally look at it, guys, because, like, if you're... Fam- again, if you're familiar with archaeology at all or jade artifacts, this right here... Um, this it's is... so cool. It, it looks exactly like it should... Mm-hmm. It looks exactly like it should. And it, and it makes you wonder because of the way that it's rendered. It makes you wonder or makes me wonder if this was part of a religion or part of a that was a gift. It could have been a gift right to them or it would have taken incredible time and skill to create. It would have. Absolutely. And um, if you it reminds me of stuff that I see in the Lapidary Arts Museum here, um, like nearby in Chicagoland. If you are in the area, if you're near Chicago and you like the kind of stuff that that blue Astari thing is, 
what that looks like. There is a place called the Lapidary Arts Museum. I'm trying to, it's the Lizadro, L-I-Z-Z-A-D-R-O. We'll link to that too. Um, we seriously need to go there. It is an amazing place. We should totally go there. Um, but this, there is so much stuff there that, that will remind you of this, as well as lots of other things that are nothing like it. They have just such a broad, broad collection. Okay, so it says the description of the weathered Azurite figurine is, This crudely carved figurine depicts two enigmatic wizards who came to Mordor hunting a great evil. Although the pair likely never escaped the cursed realm, their exploits were well detailed and may have inspired the creation of magical cults throughout Middle Earth. And and that is similar to some of Tolkien's notes, where he said some magic cults started by them, either because they fell to Sauron or because they turned to Sauron. And then the memory, when you find the memory in the object, the audio is again. So most of the audio, in fact, all of it is as though you're hearing somebody describe uh, the artifact itself or the use of the artifact that you've found or the story of what it it represents which is the case here but it's all it's a person talking okay so here's the here's the memory see there were two of them and they both came in from the road with a hard look in their eyes as if they'd traveled too far and seen too much they were wizards true both of them caked in dust and when one talked, he'd stop to think and there'd be the other to finish right up like they had one brain and two mouths it was creepy for sure but neither seemed to notice i heard them say they were hunting the darkness damned if I know if they found it, but I guess those fellows can find trouble when they're looking for it. Hunting the darkness. Hunting the darkness. Yes. And I love the, I love I love the description of the two of them as though they are one being. Mm-hmm. And the way, you know, like the way that you described it, like, he, like they insisted on being together. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, in, in this, it's almost as though it's one being... And I, I may have asked you this before because I had recently also found out, I think from listening to... I was listening to So You Want to Read Tolkien and found out that Maya can choose their shape. And I actually had wondered if it was a single Maya that had chosen to be two people. Oh, that's fascinating. Right? And I love right? that. And uh, of course, that's not the case here. We know that there are two, two blue Astari, but um, interesting idea, right? Interesting idea. But the fact that they've been together since they came from Valinor, they've been together for decades, hundreds of years, um, traveling together, always together. So, yeah, they've been each other's sandwiches. <laughs> and servants of Mondos, right? So there's well, another layer well, to this. Well, Altar is a servant of Aromaine. He's hunting the darkness, right? Yeah, and Palando seems to be... At least in the Palendo, in the way that they've described him here, seems to be associated with Mondos primarily. Right, right, and that's an unfinished tales. That's you know, that's if it's there for the taking. If you want to use it that way, and I think that's fantastic. I, I love it. I love it. Um, so good job, guys! Once again, um, huge fan of yeah, well huge done. fan of the lore that this game produced. And as someone who has not played this game, but has heard plenty about <laughs> yeah. it from I you, I literally Danny, cannot stop talking about um, this game. I I love hearing about it because it sounds like because it sounds like they did such a good job just pulling out the details from Tolkien and making them like opening them up and making them into stories. I think they did a great job. The, um, the other theory that we came up with was that 
was that the reason that they disappeared was because they just found someone that looked like they knew where they were going and went that way. <laughs> so they're like, they're like Dirk yes, Gently. Yes, the Blue Astari are Dirk Gently. They, they're like, oh, yeah. Well, it took them, maybe it took them where they needed they to couldn't. be, but it doesn't really seem like that worked out for them. Well, we don't know. What were they trying to do? We, we don't know what mystery they were trying to solve. Well, so they were supposed to be trying to fight well, Sauron. they're holistic detectives. Sauron was defeated. Maybe they're the reason. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it's because of them that Gollum found the ring. I'm shrugging. You can't see it. Mercy of Frodo. Right? Uh? <laughs> I don't know. That's pretty far out there, but then, you <laughs> so know. So is Dirk Gently. So is Dirk Gently. And so are the Blue Astari. Yeah. Off they go. Doing whatever the heck they're doing out Trying there. Trying to tame very curly hair. Um, <clears throat> by the way, if you have not seen the Dirk Gently miniseries on Hulu, is it Hulu? The, the one that we watched together oh, yeah. was amazing. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I it's loved so it. so good. The BBC, the BBC Dirk also Gently. Also, the comic book spinoff. Very good. Dirk Gently. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but wasn't but, there another Dirk Gently question you had? Not G rated, by the way. The comic. No. Oh, actually, Dirk Gently, just in general, not G rated. Um, no. So, uh, read it to your kids at your own peril. Although I will say, the description of the electric monk on a bored horse at the beginning of the long uh, dark tea time of the soul is one of the finest pieces of writing in modern literature. I have to say, as a librarian. Read whatever you want to your kids. Just know what they're reading. <laughs> your kids your kids can read whatever they want to read. They're allowed. You just, you know, instill good values and you won't have to worry. It's true. I suppose. That's but my opinion. Those of us that learn from our mistakes primarily maybe shouldn't read everything that we want to read. Um, not that I know anyone like that. So what, once we realized that the Istari were in fact Dirk Gently, this brought up mm-hmm. a very important question for, for me, which is, which Vala is in Dirk Gently's refrigerator? Mondos. The answer is Mondos. Is Dirk Gently's refrigerator represents Mondos. <laughs> and, and why is that? So um, he's judgy. That is, that's true. And the refrigerator is sitting there judging him all the time. Right? It's true. He's the keeper of the halls of the dead. <laughs> so you don't know what's in that fridge. <laughs> Nobody wants to know what's in that fridge. But Mondos knows. Mondos knows Maybe what's in that fridge. discovering that what was in the contents of the fridge is what made them drop all their crap and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> what is with Dirk Gently and food stuff? The salt cellar and the refrigerator. There's and in the in the show he keeps brie in his pocket. What is up with anyway? Yeah. What's up with Drake Gently in general? Um, <laughs> he's also um, so Mendoz forgets nothing, <laughs> and uh, he pronounces dooms and judgments. <laughs> so for those of you that that are like, what are they even talking about? First of all, read all of the Dirk Gently. It's only two books. They're not very long. Um, you could also read the Salmon of Doubt, which is 
an addition to that. That was posthumous, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Douglas Adams created this wonderful character and his refrigerator. Um, and the refrigerator is a point of contention between, between Dirk Gently and his maid. And it, because nobody wants to clean that and refrigerator. it goes on for months. And eventually what happens, so where the question about the Vala comes from, is eventually what happens is um, the refrigerator becomes a god. Um, and it is vengeful. And it is Mandos. That's part two of three done, with the last and longest part of our Astari conversation yet to come. But if you have questions or comments, you don't have to wait till that's done. You can contact us by email at show at fifthagepodcast.com, on Twitter at fifthagepodcast, or on our Facebook page if you prefer. If you like what you're hearing, please help some nerds out by sharing or retweeting our show posts on social media, or by leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or elsewhere. As always, all of our music is provided by the amazing Dr. Turtle. You can find him on Bandcamp. Thanks for listening. See you for part three. Part three.